Welcome to Hancock Conversations, an Allen Hancock College podcast. Join President Dr. Kevin G. Walters and members of the Hancock community as they explore the stories behind the people and places that make Allen Hancock College the unique hub for learning that it is today. You're sure to learn something new and even have a little fun along the way. Well, hello and welcome to Hancock Conversations, the podcast for all things Allen Hancock College. I'm Kevin Walters, the Superintendent President here at Allen Hancock College, and today we are joined by Chris Height, Professor of Film and Video here at Hancock College. Hello, Chris. Hello, Dr. Walters. Glad to be with you today. Great. It's great to have you here. So let's jump right into the, the, the primary reason we had you here. You, uh, you just finished a sabbatical, and, and for those who don't know, uh, faculty can take some time off and, and work on a project that will help their teaching later. And your project was to create a documentary about a, a horrible fire that happened out at Vandenberg Air Force Base in the 70s. Why don't you give us a little background on your, on your film? Absolutely. So the title of the film is Firestorm 77, the true story of the Honda Canyon fire. And it details the events of December 20th, 1977, in which a wildfire broke out on Vandenberg Air Force Base. And the story, as told by the participants that day, goes on to recreate the events that included hurricane force winds, just the, the least ideal conditions to even fight a wildfire, and also a conflict of cultures in which you had civilian firefighting men and women coming to the base and finding that in the Cold War era there were a lot of secrets that needed guarded. And so the Air Force had certain limitations on where they were allowing these firefighters to, to go on the base. So all of that is documented in the film. We were fortunate to have a number of participants who witnessed these events firsthand, and I think you get a sense by watching them retell their stories that, to this day, some 40 years later, that event still looms large in their memory and their experience. Yeah, and I saw some uh, some stills that you showed us of people from that time, and you can kind of see them off talking to themselves. What, what was it like for those folks to come back and, and, and kind of recount what happened during that summer? In my assessment, I think it was a, a cathartic experience for them. And that's part of the subtext of the film is this was seen as part of their job. And when it was over, there wasn't really an official acknowledgement. It was kind of part of the culture of the time to just move on. But as we've come to learn, events like this stay with people for a long time, especially traumatic events like this. And there, there was a loss of life involved in these events as well. And so I definitely think a catharsis occurred for those who were participants in the documentary. They got to talk about something that affected them deeply and on a personal level that for decades they really just had bottled up. So it was, it was a rewarding experience, I think, for everyone in that regard that they got to provide that outlet for them and for them to allow their story to be heard great and you're getting uh you're getting some interest from film festivals tell us a little bit about what's going on on the film festival circuit with this absolutely we've been very pleased with the critical response most recently at the local san luis obispo international film festival the film did win the best central coast feature length film award and we were just absolutely honored and floored by that but we've been having success outside of the area as well. We are going to be screening the film in April at the Dubuque International Film Festival in Iowa, and it will also be appearing at the Malibu International Film Festival uh, in April as well. 
Beyond that, it won uh, the Award of Excellence at the 2021 Impact Documentary Awards as well. And there's a number of other festivals that we have lined up throughout the year, um, the True Stories Festival in Las Vegas and many others that we're going to be proud to screen this work. And it's really allowing us to give this story more of a platform than we even envisioned we'd have for it. Great. Now, I, I'm assuming that given that we're, we're hopefully on the tail end of the pandemic, these screenings are, are all happening uh, virtually at this point, right? The majority of them are. There are a few that are going to attempt to weave some type of social distancing protocol into it. They'll definitely have reduced audiences than they would in non-pandemic conditions. But to me, that's a, a great bellwether because uh, film festival people are very conscientious of these types of uh, issues and events that affect society. And if some of them are seeing a potential to reopen, even partially, I think it shows we're turning a page somewhat. But we'll have to see overall how that goes. Well, I think that's great. And I, I spent a, about 13 years living in Utah and was fortunate to get to participate a little bit in Sundance, you know, actually going mm -hmm. and, and having a chance to talk to the people who were in a movie or who made a movie was always a great part of those festivals at the end. So, so I guess yes. today, do you like have a Zoom conference with people who watched it after you screened the film? Absolutely. A lot of festivals, they, they do it differently. They have their own protocol, but that's definitely part of the festival experience, that when you go, you not only see a film, but typically the filmmakers are there for the question and answer session. And it's a really engaging experience, as you noted. And so that's transformed into largely Zoom-based question and answer sessions in these pandemic conditions. But nonetheless, that's the number one thing filmmakers love, not just to release the film, but to actually engage with the audience and, and take in that reception from them. Great, great. So now speaking as, as a college president and educator, as great as the film is, when you told me about how you made a documentary about making a documentary for your students, that, you know, looking back now, it seems so obvious that that would be a great idea for a film instructor to, to do. But at the time, it floored me. And I share with us how, how your students are going to benefit from this going forward. Absolutely. So it started just as a, a matter of course for doing a documentary. We had a, staff, a photographer who worked with us on set. His name's Glenn Fuss. He's an incredible photographer. And he was just documenting our, our daily production that we would do on the, the set. But eventually I started to realize this is going to become a document that I can then utilize in a teaching capacity. These are teachable moments. And so I asked him to document certain ways we were setting up the set, including lighting and various equipment. And I've been able to, in turn, use that in my classes to show them how we dealt with various lighting conditions, various cinematographic concepts that we had to overcome, whether in kind of a studio capacity or live in the field. Glenn was always there to capture those, and I've been able to utilize those to great effect in my classes. I think it's, it, it just kind of takes it past that barrier of I can talk about it or I can show you it, and that's where the real value of it comes in. So we have just a, a plethora of media that shows us actually putting this film together. That's amazing. So, so it sounds like you're saying that I can't just run down to the cell phone store and buy an iPhone and go start shooting major motion pictures? Well, you can. That's a start, and I wouldn't discourage anyone from, from doing that. you got to jump in. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there are just a number of steps that are involved, especially when you're trying to get to the film festival level. There's a lot of bases you have to cover. 
legally as well. And that's another great aspect of being able to teach documentary filmmaking in our classes, that I have a, a humongous binder that is overflowing with legal documents, receipts, invoices for every service that we did. These are the realities of filmmaking. I always tell my students, making a film, it's more than just being creative. The reality of filmmaking is it's a lot of paperwork. And that's not always the vision everyone has when they want to get into filmmaking, but it is a practical reality. Well, they, they make it look so easy in those 60-second commercials that, that Apple runs. <laughs> so uh, I can that's just right. tape a phone to the front of my car and film a chase scene. That's what they say. So <laughs> I don't think my insurance company would like that, so there's more paperwork for me, I suppose. There you go. Um, <laughs> so, so tell me... What was it that, that sparked in you the idea that, hey, I like doing film and I want to I teach film? How, how did you kind of get started in this, in this business? Sure. Well, I, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I attended the film and video program at Pennsylvania State University. I went on from there to work for various video production companies on the East Coast before transitioning into the academic teaching of film. And I eventually came to Hancock in 2006 when I was working professionally I, on the East Coast, I had a number of offers from community college programs to come in and teach a course. And to be honest, for a number of years, I always denied them because my schedule was just, it was just too onerous. I couldn't actually get into the classroom. But eventually, one year, my schedule uh, resolved itself that I could teach a course. And it was like a light went on. I absolutely realized I loved teaching film and video as much as I, I do making the films because you get to see the passion and the spark of other people coming to life. You get to see in their eyes the idea of possibility coming to fruition. And so it just really was me trying it out that I came to the, the conclusion that I love teaching. And so I've, I've stayed with it ever since proceeded to go and get more degrees as a result, which was something I never intended to do, but I've come fully to the conclusion that I just love the academic atmosphere surrounding teaching film and video and the potential that comes out of that. That's awesome. So when when we when we look forward and we and we see what students are going to need to know for the next the next generation of filmmaking, I mean obviously the well I shouldn't say obviously, it seems like that everything is shot digitally now unless you know, it's intentionally not, but, you know, the, the idea of actually putting film in a can is, is gone away, right? Right. And Outside of Christopher Nolan, the director of Batman and Dunkirk, he's about the only director I can think of that actually intentionally tries to shoot on celluloid film, and there's an economic cost to that as well, but when I started working professionally in the mid-90s, the cost of equipment was astronomical, and the idea of making your own film was just a distant dream, but... All of that has changed because of a technological revolution that's added affordability and accessibility into the process. And now with this online internet culture that has blossomed, there's a multitude of ways that young filmmakers can have an outlet and an audience for their films. I would say the biggest impact in recent years, though, on top of that has just obviously been the COVID-19 pandemic. Filmmaking is a very public and group-oriented endeavor. This end of it has been greatly challenged by the current conditions, but we're seeing unique patterns and unique approaches coming out of that. I don't think we'll ever get back to just the traditional way films were made in, in an immediate sense. It might eventually come back. But for the next couple of years, students will be dealing with conditions that really are hewn out of this moment of, of a global pandemic. And uh, we're trying to prepare them for that currently in our classes. Nice, nice. 
you know, it, it strikes me that, that what we're going to have in our new building, as I walked into uh, the LRC here and I see the steel structure that's now up, mm-hmm. the entire new fine arts building is up. How excited are you about that? I'm extremely excited. It will be wonderful to have the family all under one roof. Right now we're all under separate roofs. And that's a big part of what we do in the film and video program. It's a, it's a fantastic program in that we offer production courses, screenwriting, film studies, a very robust approach to understanding film from an academic perspective and then undertaking it uh, pragmatically. But I always encourage our students to look and take other courses from my fine arts colleagues. So, for example, if you wanted to be a film or TV director, you need to understand what the actor's process is. So take a drama class, take a dance class, go to the music program to understand the audio recording process, take courses in graphics, arts, photography, and you'll further your knowledge of color and design. And it'll be nice that that will all be under one roof and that that possibility of educational collaboration will be even more expressed. I'm really excited to have kind of an arts magnet just right there in that building where art students of all kinds can can congregate and right across the courtyard is PCPA. And and I'm just thrilled about the synergy that's going to come out of that space. I think it's going to be fantastic for our students and for our community. I agree. I think that's one of the great charms of Hancock currently, that we have such a robust arts community and that we, you know, in the fine arts department, we always talk about they're not just film students or photography students or dance students. There are students. They end up taking a multitude of courses under the, the rubric of fine arts. And again, I just think that's going to be amplified in this new building. And it's, it truly is going to be a communal centerpiece for, for people who are visually oriented and people who just want to experience the arts. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. Well, it's, it's been great talking about not just your film, but the classes, and, and hopefully we're going to recruit some kids from that. I got just a, a couple of random questions to ask you as we, as we go mm-hmm. out. So, so you're from Pennsylvania, so is it, is it Steelers or Eagles? For me, it's Steelers. I, I don't even know how to pronounce that other team name. <laughs> I, it just doesn't even make sense. It's, I can say the word Steelers, I can say Penguins, I can say Buckos, but I, I can't say anything other than that. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's awesome because I, I, I lived in West Virginia for a couple of years, and people used to ask me, what do you do for fun in West Virginia? And I would say, I drive to Pittsburgh. And, there you uh, go. It was such a great city. I mean, the, the way that city has come back after losing its it, essentially its steel industry and is now an educational yeah. and medical hub, it's a beautiful place to go. It's a great place to visit. And for me, it has special connotation because I, you know, I, I grew up, you know, kind of came of age watching sports in the, uh, in the late 70s. And, man, what a great time that was where the Pirates were winning World Series and the Sealers were winning Super Bowls. And, you know, I still, right. got, I still got my Pop Star Joe baseball card and a, an old folder I had in seventh grade that had pictures of Mean Joe Green and Terry Bradshaw and Lynn Swan that I had cut out of Sports Illustrated and put in the – and the little plastic cover, so that's fantastic. Yeah, and, and as yeah, a kid who, yeah, as a kid from Dallas, that didn't go over very well. So uh, I, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> you know, the Cowboys might be America's team, but the Steelers definitely have an appeal to people all across the nation. There's just something about that that working class personality that just comes out of that city and speaks to people all across the United States. And 
those were definitely my heroes growing up. Star Joel, Jack Lambert. These were just very hard-nosed athletes who, who really played the game seriously and, and brought a lot of great entertainment to the fans. And it, it was a very unique place to grow up. It was somewhat distant from the allure of Hollywood. And so it was a little bit of a leap of faith for me to, to take the path that I did. But I was able to do that because I had a very supportive family. My, my parents didn't necessarily understand what I was undertaking a lot of times because it just was not a concept that was very prevalent in Western Pennsylvania. But nonetheless, they supported me uh, in my endeavors, and uh, I, I just can't say enough about how appreciative I am of that. That's, that's great, and that's, I, I think that's the message that we have for all of our students, right, is that we're, we're here to help those students that what might not seem obvious to them is possible when they come to school, and, and being able to take a class from... Uh, from you and your colleagues in the arts department or anywhere on campus, I think really, really sets the tone for our, our kids that, that they, they do have an opportunity to pursue anything they want to pursue right here in, uh, in Santa Maria, California and in Lompoc, California. So, so Chris, thanks, thanks for joining us. Fascinating conversation. And we'll, uh, we're, we're not going to read out websites because people probably are driving or walking, but if they'll, if you'll Google Firestorm 77, uh, the real story of the Honda Canyon fire. So probably if you just Google Firestorm 77, you'll find information about how you can watch this great film and see how it's going to impact our students. So Chris, thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Dr. Walters. I'm very glad to have this opportunity. Thank you again. Thanks. All right. Well, this has been Hancock Conversations, your podcast for all things Allen Hancock College. We look forward to uh, seeing you at the next podcast. <laughs>